Stories bring lessons, laughter, unforgettable experiences, and memories that far outlive the storytellers themselves. Great stories happen to those who can tell them. This is the Jack and Around podcast, hosted by two-time Academy of Country Music Award winner and master storyteller Jack Ingram. And now to introduce today's guest, here is podcast producer Matt Bevatu. Thank you, Mr. Rowdy Yates. Welcome to part one of a two-part podcast series of episode six, featuring the legendary singer-songwriter and author Ray Wiley Hubbard. Part two premieres on Tuesday, April 27th. Jack opens the podcast visiting with Ray about Ray's most recent project on Jack's former record label, Big Machine Records. The conversation quickly turns into Ray sharing stories about the early days in his career, including attending high school with Michael Martin Murphy and B.W. Stevenson, to befriending Jerry Jeff Walker and Ramblin' Jack Elliott back in the early 70s, and sharing stories about two mutual friends Ray and Jack both lost last year, Jerry Jeff Walker and Billy Joe Shaver. Before we begin, some quick housekeeping notes. Provided in the description are Jack and Ray's bios, links to connect on social media, to watch this podcast on YouTube, and a link to jackandaroundpodcast.com where you can access YouTube and audio links to the entire podcast catalog. Most importantly, if you enjoy this podcast, help us spread the word by hitting that like and subscribe button and giving us a big old five-star review. Here is Ray and Jack sitting outside enjoying the nice spring weather in Austin, Texas. Enjoy. This is right about where you picked me up that day to go sing on your record the first time. Yeah. At, uh, at, at the zone, wasn't it? No, it was no. over at Gurf's, wasn't it? It was at Gurf's. Yeah. Yeah, Gurf's house. Yeah, at Gurf's house. Yeah, the studio. He's, uh, he's doing pretty good. He's, uh, you know, it's been, it's, they just built all these mansions around him now, you know, and he just, and they've offered him a whole bunch of money, but he said, where else could he go to, Let's say I offer him a couple million, yeah. he just he yeah. can't go anywhere. If he can't get that lake and his little studio, so he's doing good, you know. We just uh, we're trying to get the the next record out. We've got your and Wayland's thing done, and we're just uh, figuring out a little deal. We'll probably put it out at uh, probably next year, first quarter next year. Was that thing with Big Machine just a one-off, or is that? No, we're doing the next one, man. They've been really happy, and they're considered we weren't able to go out and tour we you know put it out in july during the pandemic and you know we were they were gonna go out there and put me out with some big shots you know some of their guys to when the record came out to do a big promotion and it just but they were been really happy you know that's great so yeah we're good we're doing uh, it was one with an option so we're doing the next one and we're and it's you know co-starring too i mean what are friends for if you can't exploit them <laughs> you get, you know, co-starring you too yeah you know just gotta you know, user. You know, hey, could you think you could get on your social media and talk about this album that we did? <laughs> Who was on the first one? That's a long con there. Yeah, <laughs> you've always been in a long yeah. con. <laughs> now the first one, you know, I had you know I had a beetle, an eagle, a crow, and a was not was. I had Ringo, Joe, and Chris Robinson, and uh, oh Pam Tillis and uh, Ronnie Dunn, and some of these young kids, Aaron Lee Tashin, and. Park and Poe, so yeah, it, uh, her, it and Ashley McBride, she did a song. She's great. I love, I yeah. love Emily Tashin too. Yeah, so it was, uh, it turned out pretty good, you know. Just like I say, we, we had it done, and, um, you know, I, I had, you know, you get a, like I say, Ringo and Joe Walsh and Chris Robinson on a track, you get a little attention. We were going to put it out. This guy Julian Ramos, uh, you know, he's working at Gibson. He said, "What are you doing?" So I made this record. I'd like to hear it, and then. 
called me up and said, uh, Scott Bichette, I'd like to offer you a record deal. So June and I flew up there, and he said, he said, I'd like to put this record out. And Judy goes, we'll lease it to you. <laughs> <laughs> How'd he take that? And he went, okay. And then uh, so we worked out the same deal and more whatever it was uh, that we'd been getting with 30 Tigers and all this other stuff. So Right. So it turned out really well. So, yeah, we're, we're real happy. and. We are too, so we're going to do the next one. So we'll probably finish it up, put it out uh, probably the first quarter next year. So we who's go going out. to be on this one? Well, let's see, you, okay, and uh, Waylon Payne, I like TikTok billing. Yeah, I got well, <laughs> no, you're. <laughs> well, then, then there's Willie. <laughs> <And> <laughs> oh yeah, who? <laughs> you know, and so you're you're I'm somewhere in, below that. <laughs> you know, there's ten songs, and you're in the top ten. <laughs> All right, hey man, I'll take it. <laughs> no, and, and uh, got the Blue Bonnets. You know, Kathy Valentine's group, which they right. rocked out. And uh, gosh, I'm, I can't remember right now. I got Hayes and. Jesse Dayton and uh, 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 Lizzie Hale from Hailstorm. She's right. incredible. And uh, so, yeah, we're just now put it finishing up the mixes and everything. Got one on on a track. And uh, no kidding. Yeah. And uh, oh, just yesterday, just got uh, uh, Steve Lukather from Toto and Ringo's band played guitar on it. So, oh, wow. Yeah, it's going to, like I say, it should be, it's, it's all over the place, you know, as far as songs. So, can you imagine though? from oak cliff texas yeah and the the route that you took to get to a place where you're hanging out with an eagle or was not was yeah a beetle yeah. and a crow yeah and a crow and a it's, dun you know sometimes man i just you know feel like forrest gump you know just kind of where i just kind of hang around and oh hey look here you know and but it's you know so i'm i'm very grateful you well you're know? so nonchalant about it all all the time yeah well that when i think about we talked about this on the phone the other, the other day about going from Red River or yeah. Oak Cliff to Red River to, yeah. to who knows where yeah. to oblivion. Who remembers where? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but somehow coming out of that oblivion, yeah, having had you know this song is by Ray Wiley Hubbard. Yeah, I mean it's it was it's been I'm flabbergasted. And that was time. before you really. What how to like that like all of that happening that that's enough for a career, but then <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Then at forty two or whatever it yeah, was, yeah, forty two. Okay, yeah, I came out of the fog and started wanting to be a real songwriter, and you know, started trying to try to learn the craft of it. You know, I mean, early on there wasn't much craft to it. You know, you get a six pack of beer and go, yeah, you're born. You know, and you just <laughs> you just do it. You know, just you know, but then. Later on, you know, I said, well, how do I, I really want to make this song valid? Even if it's a goofy song like Snake Farm, it's still, I feel like it's well-written within, you know, and so. By the way, that's my kid's favorite song. Oh, yeah? Well, good. They go, I go, hey, I'm going to sit down and talk with the Snake Farm dude tomorrow. <laughs> they go, all right. The, the Snake Farm dude. <laughs> it's better than the Redneck Mother, dude. <laughs> yeah, it is, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah it's kind of one of the other. <laughs> yeah, you gotta kind of take pick your battles. Oh, I have two albatrosses now. <laughs> <laughs> it equals you out. <laughs> uh, That's funny. Oh yeah. It is interesting though to think about the fact that like up against the wall, Redneck Mother was probably written in twenty minutes. 
probably so, but you, well, it's actually kind of the first verse in the chorus, you know, I almost got beat up in this bar in Red River, New Mexico, because it's a real redneck country bar, and I went in there to get beer, and, and we went back to this little place, and it was, you know, all the, the hippies were there, uh, B.W. Stevenson and Bob Livingston having a jam, and they said, I said, hey, man, I almost got beat up, and they said, hey, it's your turn to sing, and I went, he was born in Oklahoma, because I walked out, and there's a pickup truck with Oak, Oklahoma plates and a gun rack, and I just kind of made up the first verse in the chorus. And then I guess about, you know, Bob Livingston was there and he heard the song and, and he went to L.A. to play with Michael Murphy and to Austin to play with Jerry Jeff. And so they say one night at the Broken Spoke, Jerry Jeff broke a string. So he said, Bob, sing a song. So Bob sang the song I made up that night. As first, he remembered it. As the first verse and chorus, you know, and it's Jerry Jeff. You know, because Jerry Jeff broke a string and, you know, they they didn't have roadies back in those days. I mean, Jerry Jeff had, you know, someone roll the dope. Right. <laughs> roll joint. They the guy, that guy didn't know how to change strings. Right. <laughs> so uh, he, so Bob sang Redneck Mother, and, it, you know, and Jerry, well, I'm going to learn that. So then they went down to Lukenbach to do Viva Tlingo, and they called me up and said, we want to record Redneck Mother. And I went, why? You know, it just, it just a, you know, thing we just sang. It. And they said, so they said, uh, but we need a second verse. So I wrote the second verse on the phone right there, just whatever I was drinking and everything. All staff and beer. Then, yeah, and so then they put it out. And so, I, you know, put the song. Which The thing about Jerry Jeff was, you know, man, he was, a, he was a great songwriter, but he was very gracious by putting, you know, my song on, on his record, but then Gary Dunn and Guy Clark and kind of. Yeah. He could have put a whole album of just him, but he he – the song was important no matter who wrote it to him. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Because yeah. yeah. uh, Jaded Lover was not written by him. That's one of my yeah. favorites. Like, oh, yeah. Even though a lot of his songs are my favorite that he wrote, yeah. obviously. Yeah, Trashy Women, you know, all the other. Chris Wall. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah, he brought Chris Wall down from somewhere, uh, Montana Jackson Hole. Or, or, yeah, somewhere like that, yeah. Yeah. It's funny to think about that because I, I remember when I first started making records, it's hard to, it's hard to figure out what's, you know, if you're going to do one that's not your own, yeah, you want it to be something that, yeah, makes sense and sticks and stands out. Of course, and yeah. he, he made a career out of doing that. Yeah, and like I say, he was he was still writing up to the very end, man. He was still, you know, uh, writing songs, you know, and he I was just. Uh, Did you guys ever become tight friends, or was he was it always? Arms length, kind of you know, cool stuff. Well, uh, it, I, you know, I mean, I would say he was my friend. You know, we didn't r hang out, you know, monthly or anything. But like, you know, right after high school, we went to Red River, New Mexico. Rick Feller and Wayne Kid, a little folk group, and then later on, we opened a little club up there. And uh, you know, people would travel through on the way. And Jerry Jeff came into town, and everybody was real excited. Jerry Jeff, he wrote Bojangles. He's a big star. This is going to be so good for the town. So, Mr. Bojangles, songwriters in Red River, New Mexico. Oh, this is really exciting. Then about two or three days later, they were coming up to me, to me like, when, when do you think he's going to leave? <laughs> You know, but uh, <laughs> did we just get a new resident town yeah. drunk? Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, you know, what do you think a friend's gonna leave? But you know, Jerry Jeff was always so you know, gracious and fun. Like when, uh, you know, the the Gonzo band left Jerry Jeff and became my band for a while. Uh, back in was that before they went with Murphy? Uh, it was in eight somewhere in the 80s, is uh, 
they, you know, left Jerry Jeff and became my band, which, you know, looking back, it's kind of like it's one of the different seats on the Titanic. Yeah, let's say you going from the Titanic to. <laughs> oh, it's bad over here. Well, let's go the with Led Ray. Zeppelin. Whoa, iceberg. <laughs> uh, you, know, that's, you know, back. Uh, and so, uh, uh, so yeah, so the Gonzos, you know, the, they were my band for a while and everything. And uh, what was the question? <laughs> it, it wasn't uh, wasn't it, that was it <laughs> well that's funny because Jerry Jeff had that happen a couple times didn't, didn't, they, mm -hmm. didn't they so they left him to go with you yeah and then they some of them came back and the Gonzo survivors and everything And uh, but no to answer your question Jerry Jeff was always you know he was uh, he was a friend you know I didn't see him you know that often maybe every two or three months something like that would run each other he'd call me up every once in a while you know <laughs> I got a call from him about a, probably a month before he passed away and, and he couldn't talk. Yeah. But man, he, well, he, he had texted and I called him. Yeah. And he got on the phone doing his best. And he, I, I was like, what are you saying? He goes, just text me. And it was really, yeah, it was, it was an interesting moment for me. Cause we were talking about getting together and listening to songs and yeah. going for a walk or something. And then about a week before he passed away, he, he texted me and said, Hey, we had some good times together. Yeah, it was uh, it was a hard one. You know, he and Billy Joe, man, I'm just they were, um, you know, I'm an old guy too, but you know, uh, and uh, but you know, having those two guys that I've known for so long, you know, met Billy Joe when I was about 22 at this <laughs> at the, at Mother Blues. I was out there, you know, this guy came over. I think was, I can't remember his name now, but he said, "Hey, I want you to meet this songwriter." So I go over at this booth and. You know, and this guy comes and says, hey, Billy Joe, this is Ray Wiley Hubbard. He's songwriter. Hey, Ray Wiley, this is Billy Joe. Billy, Go Billy Goad goes, I just took some LSD about two hours ago, and I need about a half inch more. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, I knew what he was talking about, but I couldn't help him. You know, he didn't say, hey, I need another tab or another. Yeah, about a half inch more. need about a half inch more. And that's when, yeah, we, uh, we hit it off. <laughs> That's great. Did you hang out with him much? Uh, we did. You know, every time we'd do a gig together, you know, I'd, I'd open for him, but he'd call me up and say, I'm going on first since I'm older than you. I won't go home. And so uh, we'd play these gigs. He had gone first. And, and You're I'd, kidding me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He just he just said, yeah, I'm always going on first, you know. What, what was that like following Billy Joe? It was, you had to, had to. It, it was fun in a way because Billy Joe was just, you know, he was in, incredible. But then you, you come out and like you say, you got to, you got to prove it. You know, you got to do that Springsteen thing. You got to prove it all night. And so we'd come out and, and play and you had to be, you know, ready, you know, but, and, and to do it. But it was fun. You know, he was always just, you know, his crowd, my crowd were just, you know, about the same. Yeah. So it was fun. When was that? Oh, man, I've owned... <sighs> Forever. I mean, I've owned so many shows for Billy Joe, and, and but then he would <laughs> open for me because he wanted to go home. <laughs> <laughs> Here comes the opening act yeah. after Billy Joe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was reading your book about hanging out with Mance Lipscomb. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was very fortunate. But I feel very fortunate, you know, but like I say, being an old cat, but, you know, I saw Mance and, and Lightning Hopkins and, uh, you know, of course, Guy in Towns and, and, Ernest, I opened for Ernest Tubb once in Oklahoma City. You're man. kidding me. Man, that was a treat. It was a thrill. And uh, so it got to hang out with guys like that and, you know, doing and, and you know, doing shows with Waylon and everything. So, yeah, I feel very fortunate that I've, you know, uh, 
been able to see these incredible, powerful musician songwriters, you know. It's, it's, it's interesting that the singing of records you've made post 92, 93, 94, how, I don't know if you went back on purpose or what, but like the craft of blues, yeah, really hardcore blues writing is like dove in. It, it, it's a, a thing, like I say, when I got clean in 41, I, I just I kind of got in there and I didn't have, you know, I'd burn a lot of bridges in my career, you know I mean? I, uh, you know, that the, you know, I didn't, I didn't play uh, Green Hall for like 12 years. So, you know, I was over at Willie's at Burton Alice and I got loaded and I couldn't get off my chair. And, and uh, so I said, Willie, I was supposed to play Green Hall tonight. What do I do? And he said, well, call him up and tell him you lied. So Pootie brought me the phone and dialed Pat Bolak and I said, Pat, yeah, I said, I know I, I got a gig tonight, but I lied, I'm not going to be there. He said, well, your band is. And I go, yeah, well, I'm not. <laughs> and <laughs> and so I didn't play there for like 12 years so right. was because I was embarrassed, wasn't, but I finally was able to make them in and, and uh, uh, you know, go back and, and play Green Hall. And uh, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Dad. I think for me it was about <laughs> oh getting you, back into writing the bands. Yeah, well, and Lightning Hopkins. Well, it, and then so I, I kind of got a. I didn't have much of a career, you know. I mean, I was uh, uh, the, from somewhere in there, and I was just you know pretty much a mess. And I was got to the point where uh, I never never made never could get a record that that worked for me before i guess loco gringo's lament every record i put out had excuses duct tape to them right you know well we ran out of money hey we mixed all 11 songs in one night you know they're just we just something that there's always something there that but you know loco gringo's the first one i go here it is take it or leave it i did what i was supposed to wanted to do and so somewhere in there around 42 uh <laughs> I was playing a place in Dallas called Charlie's Airport Lounge, which opened at seven in the morning, and I was alternating sets with the lingerie show. Where <laughs> these women would wear lingerie and then walk around and try to get these drunk guys to, you know, give them a credit card and buy this, you know, lingerie for their girlfriend. Oh, that's great! Oh, it wasn't that great. <laughs> no, I mean great in, in a real bad way. <laughs> it was, yeah. That was alternating sets, you know. That's back when I, you know, I was still, uh, you know, getting real, real loaded. And then I, you know, got cleaned up, and I still the only gig I could get. It's <laughs> really embarrassing. So anyhow, one night I had this really just, you know, it was one of those things where I'd walk on stage. I go play Redneck Mother. I'd open with Redneck Mother. I go here's another song I wrote. And I go play Redneck Mother again. Oh boy! Yeah. And so it was, it was, it was, it wasn't fulfilling somehow. So somehow I went home one night. And I just got real, real quiet, and I said, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna write some songs. I want to be a real songwriter. And I'm going to write songs not to try to get somebody to record them. I'm not going to write songs to try to get a publishing deal where I've, you know, got to give somebody a song a month. And I'm just going to write songs to see what I can contribute. Uh -huh. You know, see, I'm going to write this, write, write, write. And I'm, I'm going to write a song not thinking about its future. That was, you know, I'm not going to write this song to try to, what's going to happen? I'm just going to write, try to write this song right there and do that. Right. So anyhow, I just kind of made that uh, a commitment somehow or, or, or something. And, and uh, so then I said, I, in order to be a real songwriter, I need to play guitar better. 
And then that's when uh, I said, you know, I had this fear of embarrassment and overcame that fear of embarrassment, called this guy, said, well, you teach me how to finger pick because all these riders I really liked, you know, early Dylan and, and uh, t Towns and, and all of them, they finger picked it. Yeah. And I just kind of, uh, you know, just a blur. And so I took guitar lessons and really started trying to, um, you know, learn the craft of songwriting. And so I got back into finger picking and then uh, got back and said, man, I'm going to play like some lick, like Lightning and Mance and John Lee Hooker and Tony Joe White, you know. Yeah. So I really, because I wasn't gigging, I couldn't get a gig. Uh, and so I really worked on that for about six months, just getting into it. And then I started writing, um, you know, the, the songs for Loco Gringo's Lament. And that really kind of turned it around. I remember when that came out, I, was, I think I saw you play at uh, somewhere in Arlington. Where? Railroad something or somewhere in between Dallas and Fort Worth. Mm. Out by the, out by the stadiums, baseball stadium and stuff. But uh, I remember just on KHYI, that radio station up oh, there. Oh yeah, yeah. They started playing "Conversations with the Devil." <laughs> yeah. And I had been a fan of yours the whole time, but I do remember, and I didn't know, I didn't know from songwriting. I, didn't, you know, I was trying to write songs, but. I was just trying to find a, a foothold somewhere to uh -huh. see how to write. And uh, I remember just knowing, okay, there's a big difference between what he has done in the past and what this is. This is, hmm. this, this is, they're, they're not just three minute throwaways. Like you say about Redneck Mother was like, yeah. oh yeah, I could have written that in my sleep. Yeah. But, which maybe that's true, but there's also a, a natural fine art to something that simple. And then also learning how to write songs yeah. in a way that you can be complex and simple at the same time. That's the hardest thing in the world to do. It, it is. And, and the thing is, is, is I, I agree with you. You know, it's it, for some reason it's like, it's an anguish and a joy. You anguish over it to try to, you know, get this right, you know, and then when you, when it, the line works or you go, ah, oh, you know, and you go, yeah, and it's like the universe just pats you on the back, go, had a boy. That's right. <laughs> you know, and that's just, and that's, uh, you know, that's really, for me, that's the feeling that's, you know, more important than, you know, for, for Judy, it's, you know, getting a royalty check, you know, and she, that's, you know, that's yippee. But, yeah. you know, for me, it, it comes when the song really works. You go, yeah, okay, this is, I, I like this. I, I'll play this for Jack Ingram, I'll play this for Guy Clark. I'll play this song for, you know what I mean? You, Absolutely. You get that song where it's, and it's not so much an ego thing, it's, it's more of a, a self-esteem thing because you've done something, you know, like, uh, that's esteemable. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess I so, call, yeah. I call it, I used to, when I started having songs on the radio stuff, but it came at a price in some respects and it's well what I, i'm never i decided i'm never going to put out another song or another record that i wouldn't play 
for Ray, yeah. for Willie, yeah. for Jesus, for whoever, for the real heroes. Don't invite me to that gig. Last <laughs> <laughs> just tell me. I mean, hey, Seuss. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah, whatever. But I know what you mean. Yeah, it's 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 somewhere in there. You know, uh, you start off for me. It was beer and girls. I got yeah. a guitar. Cause that was it, you know. I mean, it, the, uh, the Beatles came out. Wham! You, you know, the uh, Dylan came out. Folk music, whatever. Yeah, I'll get a guitar and and maybe I'll have a chance with What'd a girl. Would you say you bought a pair, pair of jeans and a work shirt? Yeah, as a folk singer. <laughs> yeah. Voila! I'm a folk singer. <laughs> I'm a folk singer. I got a work shirt and desert boots and some. <laughs> and uh, I think I had a corduroy coat with patches on it. I was a folk singer. What was the name of that band? The Coachman. Well, the Coachman was the one in. Well, let's see. We were three. The Coachman in in high school. Uh, we were at Adamson High School. And we were the Coachman, and Stevie Ray's band was the Chessman. Oh know? wow! And so every time the Oak Cliff Tribune would always mix up the picture, and they'd put Stevie Ray's band, put the Coachman, and you know, and then we were the you know, it just they were just the time that's that's what we were <laughs> it always makes it up you know? uh, man marquees are, are yeah. really uh humility waiting to happen it is spelling your name wrong having you do whatever it is man, yeah but uh yeah it was uh that was the band the 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 coach one later became three faces west and right when we were in new mexico now let me ask you something real quick let me ask you something didn't you one time say that you saw me play somewhere like in Conroe at some or some place and somebody either snuck you in or there was like a screen there or did you when you first heard me or something? Was that you or was that? I bet it was Hayes. Okay. Because Hayes grew up in the same, right near Conroe. Okay, let's edit place. out the Hayes comment. Yeah, less about Hayes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Something like that. <laughs> so hold on, were you buds with, with Stevie Ray? Yeah, we uh, we uh, had known each other uh, in in both dimensions, you know, as as they say, you know, back in the old days, we were there was uh, uh, Riverside Studios, which was there in uh, Austin, out way oh gosh at Riverside and almost seventy one, and it was owned by uh, a felon. That's where Stevie Ray was mixing. I think his first record, and I was out there for some reason and. He'd been up for about 24, 28 hours. I've right. been up for a while, and we, you know, hit it, bonded over what, what, what we were doing. And, uh, but then, you know, he, he got clean and sober, and he was very instrumental in, in helping me get, you know, uh, into recovery. Right. But yeah, so we, we'd run into each other off and on, you know, just quite, quite a bit. And, uh, See your age? Huh? Was he your age? Like, were you all the same age? He, well, I think he was a couple of years younger, I think. I think. Uh, he went to Kimball High School right. when we were at Adamson, and I, th I think he was two or three years younger. I think. I think Jimmy's around my age. I, man, right. I'm not sure. You know. And you, when that in that book, you said that you met a cheerleader named Michael Murphy. Was that a like a? Well, Michael Murphy. Yeah, he was. A, no, I wasn't. A, <laughs> I wasn't trying to diss Michael Murphy. Are you sure, man? Yeah, no, but it was, you know. Because that was the only description you gave at the time. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, no. Was, now you can make amends no, if you'd like. No, I don't. He he was, no, was, I was a sophomore and he was 
a cheerleader, you know, at the deal. And, and, and I went, oh, okay. And it, but then all of a sudden they had a talent show and he came out with a guitar and uh, he said, this is a song I wrote. And all of a sudden this light went off. He's a songwriter. That guy, right. You know, and it just like, oh, and you know, that's the name that's in the parentheses on these 45s and albums. That's, that's who that, it, that's right. a songwriter. That's the guy that wrote the song. It's in the parentheses. And I went, and, uh, so no, it wasn't a diss. I mean, it was just an idea that you know he had been a, he was a cheerleader and really popular and everything, and then you know, but I didn't have any idea that he was uh, also that. Yeah, doing that until I, to uh, and so it was really it was uh, no, I didn't mean. <laughs> I, I, I love cheerleaders. I'm not. I, <laughs> I did too, man. Yeah, I, I went out for cheerleader and I didn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a diss. <laughs> no, one of them damn cheerleaders. <laughs> they won't let me. No, in the there club. was a. I was pretty much you know nothing there in high school i mean i we came from oklahoma really farming thing and it was i was just a hillbilly kid overalls and barefooted we came to dallas and there as a kid and boy i just you know you talk about tough getting in fights man i would i, I got you know pushed around a lot and 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 all that stuff and so you did oh yeah because I, I was just like say i was a full tilt oaky hillbilly man as a kid you know barefooted and you know, like, I was getting about the, I was uh, eight, eight or nine years old, and some guy came up and said, we're, we're going to, after school, we're going to have a tussle. Well, I was used to, like, Abe Lincoln, where you wrestle with, you know, Ruth. <laughs> this guy just came up and kicked me and knocked me down. I go, what? What happened to wrestling? He just turned on me and said, be now. I go, whoa, we're supposed to be oh. wrestling, you know, like Abe Lincoln, you know, or do something, you know, and. Say uncle, and you went, you know, not bleed. This, this seemed real. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to bleed. <laughs> so I had to kind of, you know, it was, it was, as a kid, it, and, you know, and I, I didn't, you know, have any friends. I mean, my, I would, uh, it's really weird, strange now, but I was in, I guess, eight or nine years old, and I would catch the bus in Oak Cliff and ride the bus to the Dallas Public Library. Uh -huh. And I'd spend almost, you know, two hours there till my mom got off work. And then, uh, would ride the bus back because she worked at Western Union right down there. So I spent a lot of time. In, I actually knew the Dewey Decimal System. I did too. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I don't remember it now, but I, at the time, history. Oh, okay, go over there, you know. Or, yeah. Yeah. So, because I, you know, so it was, uh, so yeah. So the cheerleader thing, there was a really beautiful, popular girl uh, came up to me and said, hey, I want to try out for cheerleader. I want you to be my partner. And it was just like, me whoa <laughs> and then uh uh and then there were more girls trying out than boys so i had like three other girls that i had to lift up and do the chair with and everything and then the real beautiful girl quit and then uh one of the other girls that i was supposed to be didn't really like me at all so i didn't i didn't really give I didn't give my all. It was a bad collaboration. <laughs> I didn't give my all when I was. <laughs> I just got him right there. Yeah, eighteen. <laughs> We're not going to vote for that guy. Go, go. <laughs> you know, because I'd got a guitar by that time, and you know, I was learning to play "Hang Down Your Head," Tom Dooley, mm -hmm. and so yeah, it was. Things were more important than that. So it was you, Michael Murphy. Was was Willis in, in that same age group? Uh, Willis Ramsey. Well, yeah, he was at the same age group, but at that high school, though Adams High School, it was B.W. Stevenson. He B.W. Oh, wow. B.W. was uh, I was Murphy was a senior. I was a sophomore. B.W. Uh, 
Kedevi was a junior. And so, yeah, it was, it was just, uh, each one kind of Murphy played and I got a guitar and then I think BW got a guitar cause I got a guitar or was playing in a group. So think about all that talent that came out of Dallas. Right, right oh yeah. Time, Stevie, man. you know, all the, um, boss skaggs you know all steve miller all they steve, were, yeah they were in i think north dallas the kind of rich schools i right. think and then oh yeah it was a it was a time how'd you get to know tony joe white uh well i was up in red river new mexico with the three faces west and all of a sudden somebody came through and said this guy tony joe white was playing at castle creek on a wednesday night so I called up Rod Kennedy and I said, hey, man, because I'd heard Pogue Saladan had just come out that summer. Just, you know, I hadn't even written up the charts yet. It was just, I'd heard it somewhere. I said, can I open for Tony Joe White? And he said, sure. It was on a Wednesday night. So we played, uh, uh, so there was a kid that Rick Wayne didn't want to go, but so there was a kid, uh, somebody said, there's a kid down at the Pizza Hut down there at the Pizza Place. He plays guitar. So I said, man, if I, you know, I need you know, have a guitar player with me. So I went down there and I looked in, there was a kid back there washing dishes, smoking a cigarette and everything. I said, Hey, I hear you play guitar. And he goes, yeah. I said, you want to go to Austin Wednesday and open the show for Tony Joe White? And he goes, no, I think I'd rather do this. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, and then I realized he was kidding. And he took off his apron and threw it down. I said, I'm never coming back. And that was, uh, (laughs) that's Terry Ware. So Terry Ware and I, we left. kidding. Yeah. We, we left the gig and drove all night and got down to um, Austin and went in Castle Creek, got there about, I don't know, three or four in the afternoon and met Tony Joe. And we just, just hit it off. He was so nice and everything. And then we hung out with him. And after the gig, then we drove back, left there Austin about two in the morning, drove back, got to Red River about, I don't know, seven o'clock. And I walked on stage that night and here I am. <laughs> it was the deal. So we met. We just always stayed in, in touch. He was just a, a gracious guy. Yeah. He, man, the one chord master. He could, yeah, he he had that, he, he, you know, just he was. Just monotonous or hypnotic. Yeah. He, Not monotonous, hypnotic. Some of that stuff he did was just, uh, I just loved it to death. And he was so, it was a lot of fun. He, he pr- produced my first session, uh, he said, I'd written some songs up there and he said, won't come to Memphis. So we drove to Memphis and we went to Sun Studio. Actually had uh, Duck Dunn on bass and wow. I think Leo LeBlanc on steel and oh God, I can't remember. So we, we did like three or four little songs, just a demo. And <clears throat> he was, uh, he was just great cat, man. He just always was really nice to me you know when we did when i did mother blues yeah. right so I, I do that two lines in there like you know oh, yeah. the lady said whenever i hear pokes say lanny i just won't take off my clothes dance from my underwear i go well, down in louisiana <laughs> yeah. where the alligators grow to me so i use those two lines right i sent him the song and he said oh i love that that's good that's funny over that's funny and so we were getting ready to put the record out it was like uh Friday and the record was coming out on Tuesday and we so we said well we need to make sure this is legal because somebody so Judy uh, uh, wrote an email to EMI and said hey we use these two lines from Tony Joe White's Polk Salad Annie uh, down in Louisiana where the alligators grow some mean we want you know we want to do that they sent her about a, back a text that says 
okay, we'll let you have, use it for $5,000 and 66 and two-thirds percentage of the publishing no on Mother Brothers Blues. So Judy wrote them back a... A love letter? Yeah, uh, you know... Uh, <laughs> of sorts. Know, I can't exactly say what she said, but it was very short. She goes, you know, and we'll bleep it. <laughs> so I called Tony Joe and I said... Uh, Hey man, EMI wants uh, five thousand bucks in a in the publishing on this song. He goes, oh man, those guys said I don't have that publishing anymore. I sold it, but let me call them. So anyhow, we got an email Monday. Said you can use it for free, no obligation, anything. And I said, call, call Tony Joe. And I said, whatever. He said, oh, I'll call them old boys, and I reasoned with them. Said I wasn't going to write any more songs for them if they didn't let you have it for nothing. Wow. And so uh, he was just that. He was like Jerry Jeff. He, he, you know, really loved songwriters and musicians. You know, he that that was what was important to me. Yeah. So yeah, that's what he. Uh, we when I did my grit and groove thing, uh, <clears throat> he came down and played it, and uh, <laughs> so he shows up right, and it's just him and a drummer. He was the first guy that actually started doing that before the White Stripes and Black Keys. Right. So he shows up with this this drummer. And I never had seen him, and so I go, Tony Chose. And he says, oh, this is my drummer. This is Fleetwood. <laughs> and I said, nice to meet you, Fleetwood. I said, how'd y'all meet? They both started laughing. And Tony Joe says, oh, I, I went to the asylum where he was at, and I checked him out for the weekend, and we never been back. <laughs> <laughs> this is my buddy Fleetwood. <laughs> yeah, he was uh, in an institution, and oh, I checked him out for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> You've never been back. <laughs> you know, he was in, he, but, uh, yeah, he was, he was, he, you know, it was a great, great cat, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He was. You know, he, he passed away, what, a couple, couple of years ago? About two years ago, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, you're the, you're the king of saying it's okay to drop names. Willie Nelson said that it's fine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it's funny, like, just to, sit down and talk with you realize i know we touched i touched on it earlier but the amount of people that have come into your life and and, and stayed there <laughs> yeah is pretty amazing it like really Ringo, is like, yeah and uh you get to hang out with a beetle for god's sake yeah that's a, a whole strange story too i mean uh um I guess almost 10 years ago or something, somebody come up and said, Ringo's talking about you on his website. And so I go to his website and he says, here's who I've been listening to. George Martin sent me some mono tapes of the Beatles session that we did there. And, it, you know, and then he said, Dylan has a new record. I like that. And says, fell in Texas, Ray Wally Hubbard snake farm. Woo. I like it. And so I went, wow, that's strange. Cause I'd never met him or anything. So Rick Richards and I, you know, my, my, the drummer, we were doing a duo thing, kind of like that Tony Joe, just guitar and drums. And so we're at playing... Uh... 